you are worthy and we are so grateful that you are our all in all. Amen. Amen. I'm just full of joy today. I'm just so grateful for the family of God. So grateful to be a part of what he's doing and so grateful to worship with this lady right here who just got married, by the way. Let's give it up for Jacob and Annie. Um, yeah, well, speaking of family, Jacob and Annie just got married. Things are happening in every direction. And um, one of the things that we always want to do is create an environment of family. And for Laura and I, that goes way back to our college days. Welcome back, college students. Where are our college students? Wave it up over there. All right. Welcome, you guys. Glad everybody's back in town. Well, here is a couple throwback pictures of Laura and I in college. Uh, we got one. Oh, looking good. That's senior and junior year at a formal. Man, she looks good. Uh, and then another picture, we had a little fun there. There uh, was a former Baylor football player in my mind. And uh, so uh, that's a little bit throwback. And as we often talk about at the beginning of most semesters, for Laura and I, we, during our college years, we fell in love with Jesus. We fell in love with one another. We fell in love with the church and all that it could be. We fell in love with God's heart for a world that was lost and dying around the world. It would change the trajectory of our lives. And for us, of course, that would lead to having a family and natural children. But even more so for us, it was to be a part of a spiritual family, a spiritual family that would begin in the late 1980s and is still alive today, a spiritual family that we call Antioch Community Church and the Antioch Movement that serves around the world. And so we've always seen life as family. And I was so thrilled uh, after uh, several months of seeking the Lord together with leaders and individuals from throughout our movement that God gave us what we would uh, affirm, the word of the Lord, it'd be God's direction for us as a people to lean in on uh, for 2024. And as I shared last week, here's the word of the Lord for us. And really all that that means is God saying, I want you to lean in on this phrase uh, and all that it means and that we are to be a multi-generational family on mission. Isn't that great? Actually, the whole Bible is about a multi-generational family on mission, so we're in good, good target zone of God's uh, leadership on our lives. But it's such a beautiful, beautiful phrase. Here's a great scripture to go with that among many. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Isn't that a beautiful blessing? So you can say, okay, um, if I fear the Lord, righteousness will extend to my children's children. And for uh, that doesn't just mean the nuclear family, though that's an expression of that, but truly for all of us, it means being a part of the family of God as we love God, make disciples, live on mission together. There is literally multi-generations of blessing that goes on and in and through uh, our love and obedience to Jesus in making disciples as the family of God. 
Well, one of those ways that, that happens is through our youth. And right now we have 300 youth on winter retreat. They are meeting right now, worshiping, praying for one another, contending for one another's lives. I uh, texted with uh, Sean Jones this morning. How's it going? And a big, bold letters. Awesome. Just keep praying. So I promised him that we would pray for the youth. So when you say, well, golly, how do I pray for youth? All I want you to do is just go back to junior high for just a minute and think, what would I want prayed for me? What did my parents want prayed for me? In junior high or high school, that's how you pray, all right? So we're gonna turn to somebody next to you and you're gonna pray for the youth, the junior high and high school students to experience the grace of God in what? In salvation, in freedom, in relationship, health and hope, whatever it is that God puts on your heart, go for it. Turn to somebody next to you. We're just gonna take 60 seconds. We're gonna pray for our youth as a part of the generational blessing that he wants to do through this house. So Lord, we agree over our youth, our junior high and high school students right now. Lord, as many have been praying over them, Hebrews 12, Lord, is su there's such a great cloud of witness may re remove every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles them. May they fix their eyes on you, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. You sat down at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Lord, as they behold you, even right now, Lord, may chains break, may hope be ignited, may relationships be strengthened, and, and may the grace of God be poured out uh, for another generation of your beauty in and through your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love that. Love that. Again, so thankful for our youth, youth pastors. And this is Alyssa Somerset. Alyssa is college students, friends. Um, on, in the multi-generational theme, Alyssa grew up in this church, so I've known you all, all, your, all your years. Um, so um, we're going, um, we're unpacking this morning what we started with last week, Jeremiah 31. So I thought it'd be powerful if Alyssa read it for us. And uh, actually, why don't we all stand just to honor the Lord, Alyssa, and the Word of God. And uh, she's going to read Jeremiah 31 and then pray over us that we would hear the Word of God and obey it. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when it went to find its rest. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you, and you will be rebuilt, O version of Israel." Again, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The planters will plant and will enjoy them. For there will be a day when watchmen on the hills of Ephraim call out, Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord of our God. Amen. So Lord, we just thank you for this house which is yours in this family, which is yours. And we thank you that your presence is in this place and that is all that we need, God. 
Bring us back to just being in awe of who you are and the simplicity of following you and pursuing you. Jesus, would we lay all distractions aside this morning and moving forward and just seek your face? Lord, would you speak to every person in this room? We thank you for who you are and we love you so much. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sweet girl. Mm, what a great lady. So blessed. All righty. So if you got your Bible, leave it open. Jeremiah 31. Just want to give you a little context and review from last week. This is the prophet Jeremiah, and he has been appointed by God to call Israel back to God. He's often called the weeping prophet. He's yearning, he's crying out to Israel, come back. Even when he has to be really strong to get their attention, it's all out of mercy, it's all out of desire that they would return to who they're created to be. In the middle of Jeremiah's ministry, we have what's called the Babylonian captivity. Israel rejected God. They went their own way, and their own sin allowed their enemies to overtake them. And they ultimately, by their own sinfulness, were now in bondage under another ruler. God intended for him to be their king through kings and prophets that he would appoint, but instead their own sin now them has under an evil king. So they're in bondage by their own choosing and their own doing. And in the middle of this, God's, uh, God speaks this famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. This is God declaring to his sinful people, who have gotten themselves in their own bondage. And he says, even in the midst of your sin, I am coming to deliver you and I have a future for you if you'll just return to me. Of course, that speaks prophetically of Jesus always willing to come to us in the middle of our sin and meet with us, forgive us of our sin and restore us back into right relationship with God. So that's the setting as we unpack. And I want to review a little bit from last week and take us on to the last three verses. So verse uh, one of Jeremiah 31, thus says the Lord, the people who survive, excuse me, all at, th at that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. At the core of how God describes himself is he calls himself a father. And the reason he calls himself a father is because that is what we need. We need a father. We need family. We need security. We need covenantal commitment. So at that time, or I would say at this time, uh, God is saying that all the, all the families of Israel, they are his and he is still their father. In our own natural journey in life, uh, we've had ups and downs related to family. All of us have, even the best families, there's still gaps because we're made ultimately for God. Now we get the blessing when our family honors God and honors us and, and creates some of those uh, mirror images of God. But for most of us, there's a gap or a lack. And um, my uh, son-in-law, Kyle, he grew up in a broken home. Um, uh, his dad left when he was 10. He had two other stepfathers, had multiple uh, brokenness in his home. Uh, he lived his senior year by himself and came to Baylor with all that baggage, but also uh, with an open heart for God. He finds Jesus. He gets discipled, mentored, cared for. Thank you, Carl and Blair and so many others who invested in uh, Kyle's life. And by the time he was a fifth-year senior, uh, he uh, 
uh, was interested in our daughter, and he initiated with her. And uh, there was a great uh, opportunity then for him then to meet with me. So it was great. Uh, he had already been discipled by everybody else, but now that he's dating my daughter, I gave him that privilege. And, uh, and just lest you think I'm too harsh, what I said was, hey, let's meet together. And even if it doesn't work out with Abby, we'll spend a whole year together. Just so you know, I'm really interested in you and her. Okay. So, uh, we started that journey together. Well, by the end of the year, they were engaged. And, um, I realized that no matter how much, um, Kyle understood about the gospel, no matter how well he had been loved, there were still just some um, gaps related to what does it really mean to be a part of a family? What does it really mean to be a husband, a father? What does that look like? I, I have ex, uh, experienced a lot of brokenness. I've experienced a lot of love over the last few years in this community, but what does that look like? And so um, I, uh, we met together after they'd gotten engaged, and I said, well, welcome to the family. And uh, I just felt in prayer that morning that I was to share a scripture with him and just remind him what it means to be a son. And so I read a very familiar passage, Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you have not received, Kyle, a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But Kyle, you've received a spirit of adoption as a son, by which you can cry out, Abba, Father, God himself has provided for you intimacy and care. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, with your spirit, Kyle, that you're a child of God. And I said, so let me put that in the practical. I said, Kyle, here's what it means to be a son. Uh, and this is how uh, we raised our kids. Uh, a son knows that dad's never going to leave. We're here. I'm here for you. Till I die, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. Secondly, a son also knows that no matter what goes on in his own life, whether he fails or succeeds, whether he drifts from the desires of the father or not, that the father always wants him to come back and work it through. And I said, it doesn't matter whatever goes on with you and Abby, whether you'll have problems or don't have problems, whether it's good or bad, we want you to come lean in because we will only produce a table of grace and we'll work out anything together. You do not have to be alone in the journey. Third thing I said is everything we have is yours. Laura and I are just here to love Jesus, serve, and of course we'll honor God appropriately. Everybody has to obey God, but in the context of that, there's nothing we uh, have that is not yours because you are now a part of this covenant family. And then among other things, I, one of the last things I said was, and you always know where home is. We're not going anywhere. We're here with you. Um, a few years ago, after Kyle and Abby had been married a few years, we were praying through whether we were to move house. And it, of course, it would have been fine if God was leading us to do that. We were praying, do we move to another house, downsize a little bit with kids out of college? And, um, and we asked all the kids to pray with us about it. And, and Kyle came back and he said, could we keep the house? Could y'all keep the house? That's the only thing I've ever known is home. Tears, Laura and I, done, house, done. We'll be there till we die, you guys. Just by the way, you know, where, you know where we are. But what is it in me that evokes those feelings? And, and for some of you guys, that evokes warm feelings. Other, maybe like, golly, I don't have that or whatever. But I'm trying to give you a natural illustration of what God ultimately promises to be for his sons and daughters. Though that may not 
be felt by you or even understood by you. God, through the scriptures, pursues you as a faithful father because in the end, I will fail Kyle. I won't be enough. But we've already agreed with that, so at least we can talk about it and come back to Jesus together. Ultimately, God himself can and will and wants to be a father to you. God himself will never leave you or forsake you. God himself will always be there when you mess up. God himself has a home reserved for you in heaven forever and ever. He is the most stable entity in the universe, the most stable person in the universe. He can be trusted. And our journey is learning to trust him in spite of our natural circumstances in life. And this is what I was trying to communicate to Kyle, but more so this is what the prophet in all of the scriptures are trying to communicate to you and me. He loves you. He's for you. You're a part of his family through the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. So Jeremiah firms up the reality that you are family. Verse two, thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when it went to find its rest. And so here's where he says, all right, family, here's the problem. The sword comes along the way. Difficult things happened to you, and you created difficult things by your own choices. But he's saying in the midst of the terrible things that have happened to you, in the midst of some of the terrible things you have done, there is this deal called grace, even in the midst of your wilderness. Let me describe it a couple of ways. One way is we all have painful things that happen a loss of a loved one, a betrayal of a friendship, a, a financial challenge, um, pain of a divorce, a pain of family issues. So many things come our way and God is compassionate in the midst of it and he offers grace for the distressed. Um, Hebrews 4, 16 says, we come to the throne of grace with confidence. We might receive mercy and help in our time of need. Isn't that great? By the Holy Spirit, even if our circumstances never change, God provides mercy and help in our time of need. So terrible things happen to us. And then we have the terrible things that we do. But even in the terrible things that we do, the story is always one of grace for those who look to the Lord, even in the midst of our brokenness, right? Last week, we shared a little Instagram uh, deal that I want to share again today that I think makes the point. Let's take a look at it. That's a sheep, by the way. There I am. Oh. Right back All right. As I said last week, I want to explain again. So this is a sheep. We are called sheep in the Bible. Uh, this is a shepherd boy trying to rescue the sheep from the hole they got themselves into. But you can hear in the, bleed, in the background the bleeding of the sheep. So the flock is right behind the shepherd. All his friends are right behind him, ready to receive him back and care for him. And then the shepherd boy who pulled him out is standing right there. So what does the sheep do once they get pulled out and get a little relief? They run from the shepherd and from the flock. You ever done that? In your pain and you get a little relief and you go right back into the hole you were in. And that breaks God's heart because he's offered a body and he's offered himself to care for you. So let's watch it again and with that in mind. <laughs> Come on, buddy. Make a different choice this time. I don't think he's going to do it. 
He does it every time. It's so predictable. But what we're trying to do is not be that sheep. To be one who is rescued and literally come under the, the arm of the shepherd and say, take me back to the flock that I might be cared for, loved, and be your son or your daughter in the journey. So we have a God who pours out grace, a family, a God of family, a God who pours out grace. And then in verse three, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And this love is that eternal, everlasting love. The New Testament version of that word would be agape love, the unconditional love of God that can't be stopped or thwarted by its object of love. Again, I've said it so many times, but I want to say it again. God is a God of agape, unconditional love because he cannot be anything but himself. And unconditional love, I love this one theologian said, unconditional love, agape love doesn't sit and doesn't quit. There is nothing that the object of its love can do to deter it from being faithful to who who he is. So his unconditional is right His unconditional love is pure and you're made for it. I've loved you with an everlasting love. And then the next one, I've drawn you with with loving kindness. The word loving kindness, it means that we get the word, the Hebrew word hesed, which means attachment love. We've talked a lot about this, but here's just the setup. God says, I've called you into a family. I've given you grace in the midst of the pain of the journey. I am loving you with an unconditional love that is different than anything you've ever experienced and will ever experience. It will always be there. My everlasting love created you. It saved you. I will bring you into eternity. I've got you. I've got this. And in order to seal the deal, I'm going to give you my hesed love, my loving kindness, so that you can experience attachment to me and not just a mindset or a theological truth. So let me take it into the New Testament. Uh, uh, Paul picks this up using the illustration of marriage in Ephesians 5, and he says, a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The next scripture he says, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. We have a covenant of marriage, absolutely. We'll talk about that more in depth on another day, but the, that illustration is Jesus literally marries himself to us, his bride, and he cements it by his Holy Spirit so that we not only are assured of our salvation, but we can experience Emmanuel God with us wherever we go 24 hours a day. The Holy Spirit is the seal of promise, not just for eternity, but the promise of the withness of God. God is with you right now. Literally, he is with us right now. He is present by his grace, his Holy Spirit. If you're born again, if you have given your life to Jesus and trusted him alone for your sins, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. You're sealed with the Spirit of promise. If you are far from God right now, the Holy Spirit is hovering over you, trying to woo you to Jesus so that he can then seal you with grace by the Holy Spirit. And I want us to take just... 60 seconds, and acknowledge God's presence, okay? Just maybe one little way to do that. We're just going to close our eyes, and we're just going to say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you're here, and Lord, I wait silently and just silence everything 
and let him love you right now. So, Lord, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you love us. And, Lord, I pray your peace, your shalom. So just wait there. Might in your mind's eye just picture the cross, picture God's open arms. Let him love you for this moment, recognizing his presence. Okay, now just take a deep breath. Isn't that good? Just lift the weight off because God is present. You're not lunging for a God out here. He's literally taken up residence for the believer, and he hovers over the non-believer, wooing you to himself. Wow. Woo, I love God. So here we go. We got a family. We have grace. We have unconditional love, and we have attachment love from God. And then the next phrase in verse four, he says, and you shall be built and rebuilt, says the Lord. It's in that environment of unconditional love that the grace of God begins to work in and through our lives to take the shackles and chains off and to build us and rebuild us. I showed those uh, cute little pictures of Laura and I in college, and we're looking, hey, there they are again. We're looking good. And you would say, wow, what a beautiful couple. Well, what's going on under the water in the midst of that is Laura struggling with anorexia and an eating disorder caused from brokenness in her family, her own jealousy and envy and strife. And she gave me permission to say that, by the way. So there was a lot going on in there that was trying to destroy her life. I was coming out of all kinds of sexual brokenness and different things in my own life and was trying to get rid of all those shackles and chains. So though outwardly we looked good, inwardly we needed to be built and rebuilt because we had broken lives in our past. And we began that process. So here's, here's the deal. The rest of the time, I want you to take notes if you can. You're welcome to take notes on your phone or whatever. I'm going to give you a few little prompts along the way because I want to take the rest of the time to talk about how are we built and rebuilt according to these scriptures. So he says you'll be built and rebuilt, and then he calls them, you'll be built and rebuilt, old virgin Israel. You'll go back and celebrate, and you'll rejoice. Well, again, uh, just to be clear, Israel is not a virgin, (laughs) Israel has gone after other gods, played the harlot, been unfaithful to the God who created them. They have not been uh, holy. They have been unholy. They have been unchaste. And he declares, O virgin Israel, and I believe that's a prophetic declaration that you can be made new again just as if you've never sinned. You can be made new again and cleansed from your unrighteousness and become in God's eyes white as snow as if you never slept with another, as if you never were unfaithful. Doesn't mean, again, practically consequences still may be at bay in our lives, but the the posture before God can be holy again. So I would uh, uh, submit to you, he is building and rebuilding our purity, our purpose, and our praise and prayer. And we'll see that as we unpack the scripture. So let's go, how does God rebuild our purity? There's a little process that I've gone through from the time you saw that picture of Laura and I till today, and here it is. Take a picture. Everybody, get your phone, take a picture. I know it's for somebody else, but you can take a picture, send it to somebody else who needs it. You find you might need it one of these days. I needed it this morning, by the way, so here we go. 
This is the, the process. We confess our sins. We repent. We turn from our sins. We build up with the truth to replace the space of the vacuum of our repentance. And then we go and rescue others. And we do it over and over and over and over again. So let me kind of run it through. We confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9. This is how we're built and rebuilt in purity. Okay, this is, the, this is under this banner. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all, everybody say all, unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, if we don't, we live in bondage and darkness. When we bring it to the light, he's able to cleanse us. If we confess our sins, he is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5.16 takes it up a notch, and it says, Confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. Many of us are saying, I just need to be healed. I just need to be healed. Well, here we go. Confess your sins to God. Confess your sins to one another, and the healing begins. It creates, if you will, it, it opens up all the wounds so that God can take the poison out and begin to cleanse you by grace and unconditional love. All right? So confession uh, is powerful. But what I've noticed is that sometimes we don't know what to confess. So I thought I would remind us what sin is. All right, so here's a little list, a friendly reminder of what are we confessing to God that's hurting us or hurting someone else. So here we go. It says in Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Anybody going through the checklist? <laughs> All right. Dissensions. Let me say it again. Factions, <laughs> envying, drunkenness, carousing, and my favorite, and things like these. I just love that. Paul is, is funny every once in a while. And things like these, of which I forewarn you that just as I forewarn you that those who practice such, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't say ultimately when we walk in the flesh, we're unsaved because we're saved by the grace of God. But what it means is we won't enter into the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in our lives. The benefits of the rule and reign of God become distant when we walk in the flesh instead of in the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that list right there allows you to know, Lord, search me and try me. What do I need to bring to the light? Well, if you have jealousy, envy, strife, anger, and I'm sure you at least thought it, if not uh, did something like that. And so what do you do with that stuff? So that I get pure in my heart. All I do is I confess it to God. And if it's appropriate, and I need to confess it to someone else. And it begins that process of the grace of God flowing again in my life. You know, I, I love uh, the old... Uh, uh, Campus Crusade used to have an old blue book called The Spirit-Filled Life. And Bill Bright would say, when I am angry or lustful or envying, I just say, I breathe in, Lord, or excuse me, I breathe out, Lord, I, I give you that sin. I breathe in your Holy Spirit. Thank you for cleansing me. And I go, to the, go on with my day, right? So um, when, um, then the next step is once we've brought it to the light, then there is repentance. Repentance means to turn. Okay, so Acts 3, 19, it says, repent 
and return to God so that seasons of refreshing might come, right? So there's a repentance and a turning. 2 Timothy 2.22 says to flee youthful lust, but become uh, but pursue the things of righteousness. So here's what I want to say. You can confess your sin all day long, but if you're not willing to turn and walk the other way, you'll never get free from your sin. So let me make it really even really blunt. If you have a problem with envy, jealousy, or lust, and you're watching every day things that fuel lust, envy, jealousy, or strife, that is foolish. Because you're literally... Uh, giving yourself to the very thing you're confessing that you need to get rid of. So when it says to flee immorality or it says turn from evil, you got to start removing stuff before you start adding good things. You got to let go of the bad things. Does that make sense? This isn't like rocket science. Um, An example would be, uh, I'm trying not to eat sweets this month, okay? But I walk into HEB and I go buy that little donut box. And I mean, it's like I forget everything that I ever had committed to. And for some reason, I justify really quickly one donut. It's no big deal because I always go by there. I'm embarrassed that that is such a vulnerability. So I'm being held accountable not to walk by the donut box. This is embarrassing. Uh, But that's how weak I am. So I don't give myself to things that I'm vulnerable to because I know that I don't have power over those without the grace of God, the power of God. So I walk away from them so that I can live out the life that God made intended me for. And of course, we're talking much more serious things than donuts. However, you know, a lot of those could be serious in the long run. All right, so here we go. Confession, repentance, I think we got, we got it. Confession, repentance, then building up in the word of God. So what is your truth that replaces the darkness you just got rid of? So let me give you an example. When I decided, all right, I'm done with the behaviors of sexual immorality. Now I want to get rid of the thoughts and attitudes of sexual immorality. And when I was in college, I had a scripture, 1 Peter 1, 13. says, gird your mind for action, keep sober in spirit, and fix your hope completely on the grace of God to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when I would have a lustful eye or a lustful thought or desire... It was 1 John 1.13, gird your mind for action, keep sober in spirit. Renewing my mind after I'd gone through the confession of sin, repentance, honesty, people prayed over me, and I felt free. Now I needed to walk it out, so I had a scripture to replace that space that had just been uh, left for the grace of God. Does that make sense? Right? And I know some of you guys might be thinking, I've been a Christian a long time. I got all this. Could you get on the next thing? No. Just by the way, I need this. I've known Jesus for 42 years. I'm pretty committed to the journey. Without this process, I can be that sheep that goes right back in the ditch. So you need to be renewed in your mind and your heart, and you got to have a Uh, clarity on what are we shooting for here. Of course, the love of God, the grace of God, but there has to be some handrails here to work with. Confession, repentance, build up in the word of God, and then go rescue others. It says in Matthew 10, verse 8, freely you've received, now freely give. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Isn't that amazing? The authority of God to rescue others come from uh, what you've been rescued from. So for Laura and I, for the last 40 years, Laura's helped 
young women with eating disorders, help people out of envy, jealousy, and strife. Her greatest place of deliverance becomes, in one way, her greatest place of freedom. My ability to kind of help guys out of lust and brokenness and different things like that has come from my own authority from walking away from things. You get your ministry out of what God does, out of what God brings you out of, Right? And you go rescue other people because what I find is the more I'm rescuing people from brokenness, the more I'm aware of my own brokenness and I'm more attentive to the Holy Spirit. We're made not just to be healed, but we're made to be healers in the name of Jesus. All right, throw that little chart back up there, Jonathan, the uh, confession, repentance, everything else. If you didn't get a picture of it, get one more picture. Just go for it. This is the best thing I can do to help you, disciple you as you walk out of our place today. So let me briefly mention the last two here. It says that, uh, old virgin Israel, I want to return you to purity, and then I want to return you to your purpose. You'll plant vineyards. You'll you'll uh, plant the vineyards and you'll uh, eat the fruit of the vine. I have a purpose for you. For Laura and I, when we were first working these rhythms through, we said, okay, well, we've got this little sorority fraternity thing we're involved in. We can help start uh, helping people, started praying for people, started opening our hearts to people, started opening our homes to people and had a little life group in our house and different things. We began to minister out of what we had and to find the purpose of God. When it came to God, what's your will for our lives? I was in business school. We said, God, fill us with knowledge your will. The first assignment we had, I went into business for a short period of time. Then God led us back to sell everything, move into the inner city, and we began the ministry to what we do today. But bit by bit, God's purpose becomes renewed and cleared in our minds once the purity piece is clear in our hearts. Does that make sense? And God has a purpose and a plan for you. And it's for good and not for evil. As we send out these businessmen and women or, or doctors or nurses or construction workers or whatever assignments you have, that is your purpose from God. And as we open up our hearts and our minds to God, he's able to speak and breathe things that are beyond what we could even ask or think. As some of you guys hear us tell stories of uh, going on mission trips and uh, going to other countries and doing different things. And you say, oh, that's not me or whatever. Yes, it is. You're called to touch the nations. At the very least, you're called to pray. At the very least, you're called to give. And I would submit to you, everybody gets a week's vacation or two weeks vacation. You can go. We can go down to Mexico, to Oaxaca. The, the leader in our Oaxaca church plans right here. Cisco, wave your hand right there. All right, he would love to do a short-term team. We've got teams going out every zone. Every age group is going somewhere on mission. And you say, well, we got a mission here in Waco. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm already expecting you to do that. We already got that. We're going for it. But what happens is when you go outside of yourself and you look to minister to people in other cities and other nations, it awakens you to be a witness in your own community. It's just the way of the kingdom. It's the way it works. And um, one of the things that I do through the years is as I read the news feeds, that becomes my prayer life, and then it becomes my obedience life. So you got all the stuff going on in the Middle East and Gaza. We have all kinds of workers in there doing stuff. Kevin Johnson just got back from a scouting trip. We're going to be sending teams in to help be a part of some of the mercy ministries related to what's happening in the Middle East. Or if we have, you look at what's going on in North Korea. We have people in South Korea that are praying and working with North Korean refugees. Or the border crisis. We are sending an awakened short-term trip down there to care for people, love people in the name of Jesus. We're just going to be active in our faith because because God's called us as the people of God to be salt and light. 
Not just pure to try to prove something to God or somebody else, but pure that we might become his hands and feet for his glory. So Israel was reminded not just of their purity, but they were reminded of their purpose. And then the last one, it says, using this metaphor, um, I've called watchmen like Ephraim, my loved ones, to come and call people to the presence of the Lord. And that watchman word means people of prayer, people of praise. And here's my encouragement to all of you. Is God's restoring your heart? Is God's restoring your purity? Is he's restoring your purpose? The catalyst is going to be praise and prayer. When you come home, if you just turn on praise and begin to just thank God, even in the midst of the brokenness of your life, as you begin to pray and cry out to God and ask for a move of his Holy Spirit, the scripture says that he hears your cries and he comes and he comes. We've been redoing the prayer room and reigniting our own call to corporate prayer. And um, uh, they've been working all week. And the team that was working on Friday, they were just kind of got to the end of it. And they were ready to consecrate the prayer room. And I encourage you to go over there this week. We've got multiple prayer teams going on, times going on. You can check online about that. But as they had kind of repainted it and redone it and all gathered together, they said a bunch of college students showed up. We weren't expecting. They just felt like the Lord said, go to the prayer room. And they showed up at the prayer room. And we began to just pray and say, God, would you consecrate prayer again in this family and in this house? And they went for hours on Friday night, just meeting with God and saying, God, what are you saying? And one college student had uh, this Hebrew word that they felt led to look up. And and the bottom line is the word meant this. It, It meant that God is coming to heal the breach in the family. And as they begin to say, God's coming to heal the breach in the family. Antioch family, of course, there's a beautiful thing going on, but God is always healing and restoring us as well. And there's been different breaches at different times. And how are we going to heal the breach? Through praise and prayer. God's inviting us to pray again, to heal the breaches, to seal up the cracks. And he's called you to be a part of the journey. So I know I've said a lot today. Great thing is the Bible says more than even I had to say. But let me encourage you again, in this window in January as we're consecrating our hearts to kind of be all that God's called us to be, that you truly be attentive to your own heart. Lord, I want to confess. I want to repent. I want to see your word. And then I want to live out of that with praise and prayer because I know, Lord, you're calling me not just personally, but you're calling us as a people to restore the beauty of your house for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If our prayer teams can make their way to the front quickly. Um, we always leave time at the end to pray for people. Um, we've got people up on the landing up there. I want to say again to everyone, we are always here for you. We are family. That means we open our hearts. We open our arms. We want to pray for you, care for you, know your name. If you feel isolated and alone, if you came in hopes to get connected somehow, many times you get connected just through your own need um, and being humble and honest about your need for prayer. So we're here for you. All of our prayer teams are available for you. So if you need a physical need, emotional need, a relational need, some place of pain that you need somebody to agree with you, we're here. You can just start coming right now. If you're hearing the sound of my voice, whether you're online or whether you're just here gathered this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to pray a simple prayer and get you to Jesus right now. 
And maybe the third thing I would ask, if you're in the congregation, if you're not coming for prayer, if you know Jesus, could you pray right now for someone you know that doesn't know Jesus or pray for somebody that's far from God to come back by name, maybe lean into somebody next to you and pray. So we're either responding to God, we're praying for someone to come back to God, or we're coming for prayer ourselves. We good? All right. So, hey, if you're here and you need to know Jesus while everybody else is praying, you can just look at me. You can look at me whether you're online or whether you're here in our midst. And I want to lead you to Jesus. Pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, if you need him, tell him you need him. Lord Jesus, I need you. This is your prayer. Just pray it right after me. I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Come on, we'll pray for you. Forgive me of my sins. Just being honest with God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for making a way to the Father just for me. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. I trust in you right now. Lord, I thank you for every man, woman, and child calling on your name right now. You said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You said that you'll wash away our sins through the confession of our need. So Lord, I thank you for your power coming right now to forgive, to heal, to restore, to break the shackles of the past and give us your presence today and for the future. The team's going to lead us in one song to bring closure to our hearts and let's uh, sing together, pray together as God seals his word over us.